0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Spill the Critty. I hope all of you are having a great summer, but of course, there is always something or another happening that needs our undivided attention and support towards certain communities. So we can see for centuries, um, so many countries, especially the United States, has been stripping away indigenous individuals' identity and culture, colonializing their land, providing them with little to no resources to prosper and continue to teach us about their culture and practices. It's simply culture cleansing and recently we can see these exact same results in canada from the kamloops residential school cultural genocide. So we can look back at May 2021, which is just two months ago, and it was announced that the remains of 215 children had been found near the city of Kamloops, which is located in southern British Columbia in Canada. And some of these remains were believed to be of children as young as three years old. And all of these children were believed to have been students at the Kamloops Indian Residential School, which was the largest institution in Canada's residential school system, even though there were about 130, 30 other schools just like it. So when we look at the impact of this entire event, you can see that 150,000 children were taken away from their families and put into these institutions. As a result, these operated from the 1800s to the 1960s. First Nation children were forcibly taken there to be assimilated into Christian culture. They were literally separated from their families and completely like disregarded of their culture and background and all of these practices that they have learned from their families and ancestors. And as a result, even today, you can see that there is no record of these 215 deaths that existed before now because there were so many cover-ups and lack of documentation. You can look at survivors from this giant event and see that they knew about these gravesites, but nobody believed them because of all these cover-ups that were occurring and that's extremely sad especially because most of these deaths occurred between the 1950s and 1971 so it's been like more than 50 years and we're like finally finding these bodies but it's extremely sad that no one was able to believe them or really like look at how skeptical these whole events were as a whole and you can see, like, right here, when you look at various news sites, it was saying that these restrictions actually prevented parents and grandparents from leaving the reservation to check on their children. Because when children went missing, right, because this is, a, like, a repetitious event, the their parents and family members weren't notified because the schools would simply just say that the children just ran away. And it's really sketchy. It's as sketchy as it sounds. And now that the center has estimated that 4,100 kids have died at these schools, many Canadians and Indigenous groups are actually placing empty shoes at the memorial grave sites, um, which are symbolic to the children. So empty shoes are like a huge symbolism for this particular event that was occurring at the Kamloops Residential School. And luckily now, as they're um, starting to find more bodies in the grave sites, um, Canada is actually spending $27 million in funds to help locate these children who died at residential school and create Um, gravesites for them. Um, But still, there's a lot of work to be done. There are about 751 unmarked graves after numerous investigations, and when they actually look back at the records of the kids, you can see lots of physical and sexual abuse that led some of them to run away. A lot of them died by disease or accidents because there was so much um, neglect. And as late as 1945, you can see that the death rate for these particular children at the residential schools was nearly five times higher than that of any other Canadian school child because of the very poor health condition, as that was something that the Kamloops residential school institutions were really well known for. They had really bad health conditions and no health regulations to protect the safety of these children. And that's why so many of them died from tuberculosis. These government-funded boarding schools were part of the policy to attempt to assimilate indigenous children and destroy their culture and languages so they weren't passed down over generations. This is just one example where governments and countries have committed mass cultural genocide and tried to ethnic cleanse indigenous individuals. The generational trauma for First Nation community feels is reflected in numerous statistics. For example, 40,000 children are in foster care, their suicide rates are 5-7 to times the national average, and a disproportionate number of incarcerated people are from indigenous communities. You can also see severe opioid and alcohol addiction rates on these particular reservations. The quality of life for these people is directly linked to the colonialization and oppression of the residential schools and the Indian Act that regarding the disposition of their land and resources and territories everything all together is interlinked all of these events and traumatic history is interlinked so that's why the intergenerational trauma is huge that's why we need to support these particular communities and pass policies to provide resources for indigenous communities when you look at the educational levels as well you can see that math literacy rates as well as vocational training is what can help people out of poverty but we have taken no effort to actually make sure that we are providing beneficial education for Indigenous communities. That's why their language and customs hasn't been passed down for numerous generations, and that's what the residential schools were trying to chip away at. That is why we need to come together to support Indigenous communities, and luckily, there are many ways that we can show our, um, our support. So first, Obviously, we must learn from firsthand indigenous individuals. We obviously have to respect their culture. We have to understand their practices. We can also read books by indigenous authors. We can meet people in order to progress and create change. Um, That's definitely the first step. Second, we have to research the land um, we live on. Um, chances are you're living on like historically indigenous land and you have to consider donating to organizations dedicated to preserving indigenous cultures um, such as the NDN Collective, Culture Survival, Amazon Frontlines, and the Nature Rights Council. If you go back to all the statistics that I was reading bef- that I was reading off before, you can see that we've literally given no resources or support to these communities which is why we need to provide funding to ensure that we can uplift them and help them teach us about their culture and their practices. Therefore, after informing yourself, you have to help research to create measures to combat unjust actions happening on their land. You can look at an example um, where illegal deforestation is specifically occurring over indigenous lands in the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. That is why we have to include them in climate change discussions and contribute to indigenous COVID relief funds, as many communities have already been disproportionately affected even before COVID. um, But now you can even imagine how it is for many of our communities obviously COVID has taken away a lot but for these communities where they barely had any support or resources or funding to begin with it is way way worse and that's why we need to allocate funding towards these specific communities so we can help them and in the future create policies to provide more equitable plans to uplift them and help them understand their culture. Um, So that's extremely important. But all these steps that I'm just saying is like the very beginning. We must all take steps to push our governments to take action and create these equitable policies to preserve indigenous culture, land, and resource accessibility. Um, So this was definitely a lot of information, but I know like this whole incident, the Kamloops um, Residential School hasn't really been displayed on the news as much as I would have liked it to be which is why I can't even imagine how many other stories we must um, have missed, given the lack of media exposure on indigenous community issues. So I hope everyone was able to take away something from this episode. But for the very last part, let's get into the tea of the week. As this week's episode is called Shoes and Sage, we'll talk about sage tea. um, But beginning, going back to the excerpt that I was talking about in the Towards the beginning of this episode, I was talking about how symbolic empty shoes were for this particular movement, as a lot of local Canadian and Indigenous communities were placing empty shoes outside of the memorial grave sites. Um, but when you look at sage tea, sage was actually a sacred plant for many Indigenous communities um, because it was thought to have effective purifying energies and cleanse the body of all of these negative energies that may surround oneself. And specifically for teas, when they were taking it um, as like an oral treatment, It was used for treating medical conditions like cramps, spasms, cuts, bruises, colds, and flu. And even today, sage tea is also a great source of vitamin C. Um, So that's pretty much the end of the episode. Sage tea does sound really refreshing in the summer. I'm sure it has some sort of grassy, refreshing um, tree taste. Um, So regarding that, please do anything you can to support indigenous communities. I gave like a few steps above in this episode a while ago um, and spread awareness of these tragic events. There was not that much news coverage of this particular event in the Kamloops Residential School, so I can't even imagine a lot of other events that we have missed in the past. Um, So please make sure to inform yourself, and I hope all of you have a fantastic summer. Make sure to look out for the next episode.